0: Thomas' presents Pondering the Bagel with Tom.
1: Oh, the paradox of the bagel. Tis crunchy yet soft, tis filling yet has a hole. Tis a vehicle for spreads, but only travels from toaster to plate. Thomas's Huzzah! A toast to breakfast.
2: And a good Thursday morning to you. New clues on a possible cause of Hawaii's devastating wildfires.
3: Yeah, with signs of hope slowly emerging. Good morning. It's August 17th. This is Today. Air starter, video now showing down power lines sparking a blaze just hours before the tragedy on Maui. This is work to find and recover more victims moves forward, and a key road is reopened, clearing the way for more help to arrive. We're there live. Midair scares, alarming video showing the engine of a Southwest Airlines plane in flames moments after takeoff. While on a flight from Miami, the pilot suddenly collapses and dies, his crew safely landing that plane. Both incidents now under investigation. We'll have the very latest. Extreme weather, tens of millions other new heat alerts this morning from the Pacific Northwest down to the South. Severe storms expected across the Midwest and the Northeast to Al's tracking all of it. Shark Watch, officials increasing patrols, even holding rare drills on New York beaches after a string of attacks. You can't let
4: go until help arrives.
3: This morning, the new steps to keep swimmers safe, heading into a busy summer weekend. All that plus fighting back. Attorneys for the family at the center of the blind side speak out for the first time.
5: These people are truly devastated. I mean, this was their son
3: why they say Michael Oher knew the truth years ago. And solid gold. The summer's biggest blockbuster smashes another huge box office record, proving we're all just living in a Barbie world. Today, Thursday, August 17th, 2023.
6: From NBC News, this is Today with Savannah Guthrie and Hoda Kotb. LIVE FROM STUDIO 1A IN ROCKEFELLER PLAZA.
3: WELL, HEY THERE, GOOD TO SEE YOU. GOOD MORNING. WELCOME TO TODAY. SO GLAD YOU'RE JOINING US ON THIS THURSDAY MORNING. Savannah's A LITTLE UNDER THE WEATHER. SHE'LL uh, LIKELY BE BACK TOMORROW. BUT, WOW, THE BARBIE MOVIE BEATING WHAT? HARRY POTTER, BEATING BATMAN, Batman, BEATING THEM ALL. uh, I THINK
2: I I MAY BE ONE OF THE ONLY PEOPLE WHO HASN'T SEEN IT YET.
3: I HAVEN'T EITHER. WELL, YOU'RE IN GOOD COMPANY. ALL RIGHT, BUT WE ARE GOING TO BEGIN AGAIN THIS MORNING. In Hawaii, new details coming in on those tragic wildfires. The death toll climbing overnight, now the number at 111. And consider this, just 38% of the destruction area has been searched.
2: Meanwhile, some newly surfaced video has a lot of folks wondering if this could perhaps be the moment that led to at least one of those fires spreading. If you look closely there, you can see the flash from a tree falling on a power line and this morning there are growing calls for an independent investigation into what caused this disaster.
3: NBC national correspondent Miguel Almaguer is right there in Maui with the very latest. Miguel, good morning.
7: Hoda, good morning. As the search and recovery continues just down the road from here, President Biden's expected to visit Maui on Monday. Of course, he'll meet with first responders and victims of the wildfire. All of this comes as that new video emerges showing perhaps the first of multiple wildfires here on the island that may have been sparked by downed power lines. The power company coming under more scrutiny now. This morning, potential new signs about what may have sparked Maui's devastating wildfires. This surveillance video from the night before showing a sudden flash, later turning into fire in the morning. It's windy and then there's a flash and I think that's when a tree is falling on a power line. The, The power goes out, our generator kicks in. The camera comes back online, and then the forest is on fire. While the official cause of the island's blazes is still being investigated, data from Whisker Labs shows 34 major electrical incidents on the power lines around Lahaina that same night. There is video evidence of the very first fire starting in the middle
2: of the island, uh, and we literally have coincident data, simultaneous
7: data that shows an explosion on the grid, Hawaiian Electric didn't specifically address that data or the multiple lawsuits, but said in part, we know there is speculation about what started the fire, but the causes haven't been determined. With remains of more than 100 bodies recovered, most of them just ash, officials fear more than 1,000 are still unaccounted for. Overnight, the names of three more victims released, all seniors, including 90-year-old Virginia But as more of the victims' names are released, the latest briefing by authorities turning confrontational when they were questioned about their competency and transparency in the fire's aftermath.
6: You can look here and see if you can trust me.
7: As tensions rise, we're learning more about the victims who have not officially been named like Frank Trejos. Frank was escaping the blaze with his best friend, retired firefighter Jeff Bogar, when fire surrounded them.
0: He said it was like laying on the ground with a flame torch
4: going 80 miles an hour over the top of you.
7: Jeff survived and later found Frank's body draped protectively over his beloved golden retriever, Sam. One sign of hope, the road to Lahaina now reopened, but the burn zone still off limits. We were granted rare access, recovery teams sifting through five square miles of rubble and dust. This is the area where the active search is underway. It's a shopping center with coffee shops where people may have been enjoying their day when the wildfire broke out. Mounting questions as families look for closure from the debris field that's also hallowed ground. The power company CEO has also pushed back on criticism that the power company should have cut off electricity to the island as those wind speeds picked up and the fires first broke out. They have said that doing so could have caused some serious problems for people with medical issues who depend on power as well as water pumps that are needed to be powered by electricity, Hoda.
3: Oh, and well, on top of that, there were lots of concerns that residents had about the sirens, why sirens did not sound off when the fires broke out and officials finally addressed that. What'd they say?
7: Yeah, Hoda, county officials said that they did not sound the sirens because typically those are used for tsunami warnings, and that may have actually pushed people away from the coastline into the hills where the fire was burning. They say that would have been a major risk here. They stand by their decision as of now to not sound those sirens, Hoda.
2: All right, Miguel Almaguer for us there in Maui. Miguel, thank you. Turning now to those mid-air scares for two groups of plane passengers. One of them caught on camera at the airport in Houston. Take a look here. You can see the engine of a southwest plane in flames shortly after takeoff. NBC's Tom Costello covers Aviation Force. Tom, what do we know about what happened here?
8: This looks like a compressor stall, Craig. That's when an engine essentially backfires. There's an air imbalance in the engine, so it spits out fire off the the backside. It shakes the aircraft. Really not a significant risk to the aircraft itself. The pilots needed to shut the engine down, which they did, and then land. That was one incident. The other one, we had a pilot die mid-flight. An emergency. Okay. This was the terrifying moment for passengers aboard a Southwest flight Tuesday night, as flames shot out one of the aircraft's engines shortly after leaving Houston's Hobby Airport. The flight bound for Cancun forced to turn back.
5: 307, you still have uh, one engine shut down? Is that correct? shut
8: right. down. The plane made a successful emergency landing in Houston. The passengers' lives were not in imminent risk. This is an abnormal situation, but it's one that we train for. Flight aware data shows the plane was only in the air for about 27 minutes before making the emergency landing. Southwest tells NBC News the plane experienced a mechanical issue shortly after takeoff and that a different aircraft continued the flight to Cancun. And from one flight scare in Houston to another in Miami, after one of three pilots aboard a LATAM flight en route to Chile died mid-flight from a medical emergency. Two other pilots on board diverted the plane to Panama for an emergency landing, according to the airline. Passengers on board applauded the flight crew for landing the plane safely and expressing their gratitude again in the airport. Bottom tells NBC News all of the necessary protocols were followed to try to help and save the pilot who had been with the airline for 25 years. There's a lot that goes on in preparation for these abnormal circumstances to protect passengers. And as a passenger, that's probably one thing we can rest assured of and take in comfort when we do experience something like this. The FAA requires airlines to carry emergency medical kits on board. They include some drugs, and an external defibrillator, oxygen, for example, stethoscope. But there's not much you can do if somebody is really in a very, very critical state like that. Craig, back
2: to you. All right, Tom Costello Force, there at Regan National. Tom, thank you.
3: The Georgia prosecutor leading the election interference case against former President Donald Trump and his 18 co-defendants is looking to start the trial in early March. Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis proposed a March 4th trial day, the very next day, by the way, March 5th. Is Super Tuesday when voters in 15 states will cast their ballots for the Republican presidential nomination? Trump and some of his closest allies were indicted on felony charges Monday in connection with efforts to overturn the 2020 presidential election results in Georgia.
2: Now to the migrant crisis sparking new battles far from the southern border. Here in New York, the mayor says an unprecedented surge of asylum seekers has left the city at a breaking point. But this morning, That mayor is facing new criticism from the state's governor. NBC national correspondent Gabe Gutierrez joins us from a hotel in midtown Manhattan because it's been turned into a a migrant housing facility. Gabe, good morning to you.
6: Hey, Craig, good morning. This is the iconic Roosevelt Hotel, and hundreds of migrants are now being housed here. New York City hitting a new milestone. More than 100,000 asylum seekers have arrived in the city since last year. All this as the governor deploys more members of the National Guard across the state. As New York City opens more shelters to house a record-breaking migrant influx. Close the border. This morning, there's growing outrage over the city's response.
7: Do you get free Wi-Fi at home? I
6: don't. Mayor Eric Adams, also facing sharp criticism from a fellow Democrat, Governor Kathy Hochul, whose lawyer sent a scathing letter saying the city faces a serious crisis, but has failed to accept the state's offers of assistance and should do more to act in a proactive manner. If her observation Is that here's some things that you can do differently. We're all in. But by law, New York City is required to provide temporary housing to anyone who asks for it. And it's hit a new milestone 100,000 migrants arriving here since last year. More than 58,000 are now in shelters. Officials estimate the cost to city taxpayers will skyrocket to $12 billion by 2025. IN MANHATTAN, A HISTORIC Roosevelt HOTEL, NOW HOUSING ASYLUM SEEKERS. HOW LONG HAVE YOU BEEN HERE? CARLA FROM ECUADOR TELLS US SHE'S LIVED HERE FOR TWO MONTHS WITH HER FOUR-YEAR-OLD DAUGHTER AND JUST WANTS AN OPPORTUNITY TO WORK. MAYOR ADAMS IS ASKING THE FEDERAL GOVERNMENT FOR EXPEDITED WORK PERMITS AND HAS REPEATEDLY BLASTED THE BIDEN ADMINISTRATION FOR NOT DOING ENOUGH. The White House won't say whether it plans to declare a federal state of emergency over immigration, but does point out it's given New York City more than $100 million in aid. We take this very seriously. Across the country, other major cities are also struggling with the influx. Massachusetts governor just declared a state of emergency.
9: We've been
4: expanding and continuing to look for housing and shelter opportunities, and it's unsustainable.
6: Federal authorities are also investigating the death of a three-year-old migrant girl who died while traveling from Texas to Chicago. And here in New York State, Erie County, which includes Buffalo, has asked New York City to stop sending migrants there. Greg
2: for force here in New York Cape thank you
3: a federal appeals court yesterday imposed restrictions on the abortion pill Miphi but the ruling will not take effect until the Supreme Court makes a decision about the case the US Court of Appeals ruled that the FDA did not take safety concerns into account when it loosened access to miFA Prestone in 2016 if the Supreme Court upholds the ruling women will no longer be able to obtain the abortion pill, THROUGH TELEMEDICINE APPOINTMENTS, AND BY MAIL, PATIENTS WOULD HAVE TO RECEIVE A PRESCRIPTION STRAIGHT FROM A DOCTOR.
2: ALSO THIS MORNING, CALIFORNIA SENATOR DIANE FEINSTEIN IS AT THE CENTER OF A NEW LEGAL BATTLE. IN A LAWSUIT FILED ON HER BEHALF, THE 90-YEAR-OLD ACCUSES THE TRUSTEES OF HER LATE HUSBAND'S ESTATE OF FINANCIAL ELDER ABUSE, CLAIMING THEY FAILED TO PAY HER THE MILLIONS OF DOLLARS SHE IS DUE.
1: NBC'S RYAN NOBLES JOINS US FROM WASHINGTON WITH DETAILS ON THIS ONE. RYAN, GOOD MORNING. Hey, Craig, good morning. This is the third lawsuit filed just this year on behalf of the senator regarding her husband's estate. It comes as questions linger about her capacity to serve. Dianne Feinstein, the 90-year-old political icon, already facing public questions about her age and health, now at the center of a personal lawsuit filed on her behalf by her daughter Catherine, aimed at the trustees of her late husband's estate. Despite actively serving in the U.S. Senate, Feinstein's daughter acting as her power of attorney. The suit accuses the trustees of, quote, financial elder abuse, claiming they are withholding funds the senator is entitled to. Feinstein's husband, Richard Bloom, died last year. The billionaire established a trust for his wife and his will that was designed to provide regular payments after he passed. The suit accuses the trustees of not properly funding the trust or providing Feinstein with her entitled income. Attorneys for the trustees fired back, saying in a statement, quote, the trustees have acted ethically and appropriately at all times. The same cannot be said for Katherine Feinstein. This filing is unconscionable. The new legal challenge adds to a growing bitter battle between Feinstein and her late husband's family. She's filed two similar lawsuits asking for access to her husband's fortune and in one filing claimed that she had, quote, incurred significant medical expenses as the result of her health issues. Feinstein's health has come under scrutiny after she missed three months of work in the Senate while recovering from a bout with shingles. She was briefly hospitalized last week after a fall and at times appeared to not understand her duties in the Senate.
8: Yeah, just say aye. Okay,
1: just aye. aye. She's not alone in facing questions around her age. GOP leader Mitch McConnell recently froze during a press conference leading to concerns about his health.
6: It's a pitiful thing to watch. Uh, we're really good people, both sides of the aisle, we really deteriorate the point where they're just a a shell of what they former were, but the voters know that.
1: Now, Feinstein has resisted all calls to step down. She's pledged to serve the balance of her term, which ends at the beginning of 2025. Her office declined to comment on this lawsuit, and a spokesperson for Feinstein said that she was preoccupied when she appeared to be confused during that Senate vote last month. As for the incident involving Senator McConnell, his staff has said that he was feeling lightheaded at the time, but noted that he returned to answer reporters' questions. Craig? All right, Ryan Nobles from the Hill there. Ryan, thank you.
3: Residents in Canada's Northwest Territory, were ordered to evacuate overnight as wildfires closed in on the capital city of Yellowknife. Government leaders told those in high risk areas they should leave as soon as possible. The fire burning about 10 miles outside of the city, it's expected to reach the capital's outskirts by the weekend. Canada has seen a record number of wildfires this year. There were more than 1,000 active wildfires burning across the
2: country this week alone. And we feel that a lot yeah. here in the
3: United States as well. And meanwhile,
2: mm-hmm. millions of folks here facing a new round of heat, a new mm-hmm. round of storm threats, coast to coast. Mr. Roker standing by with that first check of the forecast. How are we doing, now? Well, good morning, guys,
5: and good morning to you. And uh, unfortunately, we're still talking heat stretching from Louisiana all the way to Montana. 51 million people under heat advisories and heat watches. Look at some of these temperatures today. We may see records in Baton Rouge, Corpus Christi, Texas, Dallas, El Paso, all the way to Phoenix. Then for tomorrow, That starts to expand to the east. Pensacola may break a record. Same in New Orleans. Waco down to McAllen up to Lubbock and Wichita Falls. And this stubborn heat dome is going to intensify. It's actually going to move to the north and to the east this weekend and shift, as we said, up to the north all the way up to Minnesota. Minneapolis but into early next week into the low 90s. St. Louis mid-90s. Triple digits for Jackson. Wichita is going to see triple digits as well. And Denver will see temperatures in the high to mid 90s and look all the way to by August 26 still warmer than average from Florida all the way into the mid plains and unfortunately drier than average in those same places so we're going to be worrying about some fires starting to crop up we're going to watch that carefully and that's your latest weather guys
3: all right now Al, uh, thank you coming up Kaylee Hartung has the newest twist in the blindside legal battle that's erupted this week hey Kaylee
10: hey good morning guys michael orr's lawsuit centers on this stunning concept that the blind side was based on a lie well now the two family lawyers are calling him out and challenging that strongly coming up we will tell you where they have gone to dig up his own words to use against him
2: also had this morning new patrols and new preparations as well shark attacks shark sightings in many places they're on the rise so this morning an inside look at what's now being done to keep swimmers safe in these final weeks of summer. But first, this is Today on NBC.
9: When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. First up, let's get to some of your news
0: in this half hour. New developments in the legal battle involving the family at the center of the blind
3: side. Yeah, the Tuohys are now pointing to evidence they say contradicts the stunning claims made against them in Michael Ower's lawsuit. NBC's Kaylee Hartung following the story for
10: us. Hey, Kaylee. Hey, good morning, guys. It is a Hollywood ending gone bad. And despite the feel-good movie and the images of the Tuohys cheering Or on during his football career, We're now hearing the relationship between them has been fractured for nearly a decade as the TUIs are quite literally taking pages out of a book Michael Orr wrote that they say discredit his accusations. The family whose story inspired the hit movie The Blind Side is fighting back against what they call the outlandish claims Michael Orr has made against them.
5: These people are truly devastated. I mean, this was their son.
10: After the former NFL player filed a lawsuit claiming he only learned six months ago that the Tuohys hadn't adopted him in 2004 and instead established a conservatorship that he now wants to terminate, the TUI family attorneys are using Orr's own words against him, pointing to his book, I Beat the Odds, where in 2011 he wrote, Sean and Leanne would be named as my legal conservators. Honestly, I didn't care what it was called. I was just happy that no one could argue that we weren't legally what we already knew was real we were a family. The tuis now say they're willing to terminate the conservatorship and maintain its purpose was to assist Orr in the college admissions process.
1: We're talking about a family trying to help someone in need. Uh, the tuis did
10: not control any of Mr. Orr's finances. The tuis say at the center of all of this is money, alleging Orr previously threatened them with a shakedown for $15 million. Then, he filed suit. Orr claiming the Toohey's made millions off his life story in the movie deal for The Blind Side, while he earned nothing. But the Toohey's dispute that too. A source close to the film tells NBC News, the Toohey's received approximately $700,000 total, which was intended to be evenly split among the family.
6: Michael got every dime, every dime he had coming.
10: While in Oxford, Mississippi, home to Ole Miss, where Orr played college football, as fans lined up around the block to meet him earlier this week, he did not address the controversy. Orr's attorney now saying, we believe that justice will be served in the courtroom.
2: So, I mean, Kaylee, it is unusual for an adult without limitations to be under a conservatorship. But Orr is still under one, as we understand it, and he's 37. So how are the Tui's and their attorneys explaining that part of the story?
10: Yeah, well, Craig, just as it was portrayed in The Blind Side or was a top prospect in college football, and because the Tui family has long donated to Ole Miss, the NCAA investigated why he was living with them. The Tui say the legal advice they got at the time was to put him under conservatorship so he could choose where he went to college, and they would appease the NCAA, and it would afford the family to be able to support him with things like health insurance. So the two maintain that they have stayed out of his business decisions beyond that, saying Orr chose his own agent when he went pro and signed his own contracts. And again, they say they are willing and they will not oppose to terminating this conservatorship, Greg.
2: All right, the drama continues. Kaylee Hartung for us. Kaylee, thank you.
3: All right, let's move now to something we've been talking about all summer long. Sharks. All right. In the wake of a series of attacks and scares on our country's coastlines, officials are ramping up measures to keep swimmers safe as we head into the last few weeks of summer. NBC's Emily Akeda is at Rockaway Beach, right here in New York, not far from us. Hey, Emily, good morning.
4: Hey, good morning to you, Hoda. Well, one thing that beachgoers will be seeing a lot more of in these final weeks of summer, drones. Authorities will be leaning on the high tech equipment to be surveilling these shorelines every single morning in search of sharks to help prevent an incident like the one we saw last week here that landed a 65-year-old woman in the hospital. During an active summer of shark encounters and attacks, in terms of bleeding, Look for the source. On Long Island, more training for lifeguards responding to shark bites. If pressure stops the bleeding, great, um, but you can't let go until help arrives. The demo comes on the heels of a horrific shark attack off the coast of New York City earlier this month when a 65-year-old woman was bitten at Rockaway Beach, lifeguards rushing to her aid. Very
8: right, laceration of her leg.
4: The serious incident prompting city officials to ramp up patrols. Now scanning the water daily with high-tech drones in search of swarming sharks like this.
7: If we spot a shark, then we'll make a decision to close the beach.
4: Along our country's coastlines, a series of scares reported this summer from Florida to New York, which saw five suspected shark bites over the fourth of July holiday. It's a terror Heidi Ernst knows all too well.
5: It felt like I was hit by a truck.
4: She lost her leg from a shark attack during a free swim while on a diving excursion in the Bahamas. I needed to get my leg out of its mouth, and so I I did punch it in the face. She's now back home in Iowa. This all comes amid a potential breakthrough in shark research. Two great whites, Jekyll and Simon, were recently tracked by scientists at Osearch in a study covered by the Washington Post. Typically solitary creatures, the duo traveled similar paths as they swam thousands of miles north to Canada, arriving on the same day. Osearch's chief scientist telling the Post that the groundbreaking trip adds a whole new element of sort of a familial and social component to migration. A predator that has been examined for centuries and we're still just scratching the surface.
1: As time has gone on, new tools, new technologies open new doors to what we learn about these animals. We still have a long way to go.
4: So while New York beaches have seen an unusual number of shark bites in recent years, the overall count for the U.S. has remained pretty consistent and extremely rare. Just 41 bites in 2022, and deaths are even more uncommon. You're more likely to be struck by lightning than get bit by a shark. So while experts remind people you should be taking precautions, or at least considering them like avoiding swimming near schools of fish or swimming at dawn or dusk. It shouldn't spoil your summer fun. Toda,
3: all right, Emily Akeda for us there on Rockaway Beach. Emily, thank you. Well, the all graphic right. said
2: unprovoked bites, like our people. I mean, if you're actively provoking? come get me. <laughs> <Yeah. Woo-hoo>. <laughs> Sorry.
3: <laughs> Still ahead, an encouraging update on Jamie Foxx's recent health battle. What the Oscar winner is now revealing about his recovery. Plus, the heated
0: debate over students and teachers sweating out record high temperatures in classrooms without air conditioning. Maggie Vespa is looking into that. Good morning. Hey, Chanel. good morning. Yeah, let's start with a brief exercise here. Think back to your childhood. Did your school have air conditioning? Studies show for a lot of Americans the answer is no, and a lot of these schools haven't been updated in that way in decades. Well, now there's this push heating up nationwide to keep classes cool as our planet warms. We'll go in depth coming up.
1: Follow Dateline True Crime Weekly to get new episodes starting Thursday.
0: Wherever you get your podcasts. Join Hoda Kotfi for a brand new season of her podcast, Making Space. For season
3: five, I am making space to talk to people who are providing a sense of hope and inspiration when life changes course. Uplifting conversations with inspiring individuals like NFL legend Drew Brees, singer-songwriter Ziggy Marley, And today's show co-anchor, Savannah Guthrie, as you have never heard her before.
2: I found faith more viscerally, not because the bad thing didn't happen, but because it did.
3: I promise you, like me, will leave these conversations with some wisdom for your own journey, empowered and inspired to make space in your own life.
9: New episodes of Making Space with Hoda Kotb are released every Wednesday. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts.
2: back now coming up on 742 with In Depth Today and This Morning, the nationwide push to keep kids cool as they head back to school.
3: Yeah, after a summer of record smashing heat waves, districts all across the country are scrambling to install air conditioning systems. Progress is being made in certain places, but some teachers are fed up and they are taking legal
0: action. NBC's Maggie Vespa joins us now from St. Paul, Minnesota, a place that usually worries more about snow than heat. Maggie. Yeah, Chanel, guys, good morning. That's right. But administrators say in the last few years, the conversation here has changed drastically. The problem here and the problem with schools across the country is that a lot of these buildings have long gone without AC, meaning a lot of these buildings are old. This elementary school is more than 100 years old, and antiquated designs can make it tough to update and tough to air condition these facilities, forcing educators to get creative to keep kids safe. This morning, as kids coast-to-coast start heading back to class, a
5: puzzling new equation... We are looking at unprecedented heat into August. Another day of triple digits.
10: Temperatures anywhere from 95 degrees to 107 degrees.
0: Is leaving many schools stumped. How difficult is it to air condition a building this old? It's a real challenge. The problem even plaguing places like St. Paul, Minnesota famously frigid, now grappling with the extreme heat waves made more common amid our climate crisis.
1: The conversation has changed locally and nationally.
0: Is it safe to say the district is working as fast as it can to air condition these schools? Absolutely. That race playing out nationwide. According to one study, more than 40 percent of American districts report needing to update their HVAC systems. One roadblock experts note, the average school building is 50 years old. Some far older Saint Paul's Randolph Heights Elementary was built in 1916 with thick masonry walls and no concept of HVAC systems of the future. It's expensive
1: to to get systems that perform to modern expectations.
0: Similar struggles have districts across the country desperate in Salem, Oregon, photos show classrooms without AC now shrouded by heat reducing window film while in Polk County, Florida. My second grader said it's disgusting. Parents anger boiling over after the teachers union sounded alarms last week, filing a class action grievance over systemic AC issues that grievance union reps say now covering AC related complaints at close to 60 schools in the
8: district. It should have been handled over the months where kids weren't in there.
0: School administrators telling Tampa Bay NBC affiliate WFLA crews worked through the weekend to address the complaints, prioritizing AC repairs as they come in and installing portable systems in affected schools. Back in Minnesota. Oh, it feels much cooler in here. Yep, buildings suited to modern HVAC units like Johnson High School are getting them. These have been running less than a month, like two weeks. Absolutely. Administrators allocating massive chunks of funding, including $28.4 million in federal ARP COVID grants for the upgrades. In the last five years, the districts installed state of the art computer automated programs in 13 St. Paul public schools and counting.
1: We're trying to take and making sure that these buildings are um, relevant and, and supporting our kids for where education is going
0: a lesson about living on a warming planet amid a man-made crisis that's testing America's schools. Maggie, for a lot of districts, these improvements will be slow. We're talking years. Is there anything parents can do to help speed things along? Yeah, definitely. Educators say parents can become advocates in this issue like they do in others. Among the uh, recommendations that we saw, they say, ask if your teacher, if your child's teacher, is keeping a log of the temperatures inside that classroom, because that can obviously help when reporting the problem later on. Also, they say, ask more broadly if your school has a plan to kind of move kids around, if things get too stifling in their classroom, maybe to other classrooms or air-conditioned larger spaces like gyms or cafeterias. And finally, they say, if all else fails, guys, good old FUNDRAISING FOR FANS OR PORTABLE AC UNITS CAN HELP WHILE SCHOOLS COME UP with longer-term solutions. Yeah, it's tough Chanel. for the kids to learn when it's so hot like that. It's a
3: distraction. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Maggie. All right, well, let's, it's, what, 746? Speaking of heat, Mr. Roker, what you got cooking?
5: Well, we are looking at some severe weather. The good news is a lot of that heat is gonna get knocked down by this frontal system that's gonna be being pushed in through the Great Lakes. In fact, we've got a risk of some severe weather from Grand Rapids, Detroit, on into Columbus, maybe a tornado, but mostly winds, isolated hail, gonna be the biggest problem. Here comes that front today, the cold frontal track across the the Great Lakes bringing strong storms to Ohio, Michigan on into Indiana. Tomorrow makes its way into the northeast, into northern New England. Some of these storms may really produce a lot of heavy rain, could cause some flooding, especially down to the south. Here in the northeast, we're looking at anywhere from one to three inches of rain. But as we move down into southern Florida and central Florida, hourly rainfall rates of up to two to three inches could cause some flooding from Titusville all the way down to Marathon Key. And that is your latest weather. <laughs>
3: Thank you, Al. But first
0: this is today on NBC. All right, coming up move over Batman we will tell you about the newest record that Barbie just crossed off her growing
2: list also creative ways to lower those back to school shopping bills. We're going to tell you how you can perhaps even score some free school supplies
8: as well. But first this is today on NBC.